0: All right, well, have you ever considered um, the power of light? Uh, I wonder if you've ever just taken some time and just really thought about, you know, light. Um, I got lights glaring in my, my eyes this morning. Um, the importance of light, and I'm thinking here not necessarily of just electrical lights that we can create and generate, but I'm thinking of light in general. I would maybe argue that light, in a sense, is to humans what water is to fish, Uh, Without light, uh, we really would have a difficult time surviving. I'm not even sure if we could fully survive. Uh, The very first words of God are, let there be light. And clearly that set in place or that set in motion one of the most important things that we need in our natural world in order to survive. Light synchronizes your internal clock. And and some of you probably have a better internal clock than others where you know it, it happens at a certain time and you're just wide awake. And that's why some of you right now are wondering why you tend to be sleeping in or you're dependent more on your alarm clock because we're switching back to where it stays dark much later in the morning and you're like, man, what in the world? And so light synchronizes your internal clock. Daylight in the morning prompts the production of a stress hormone cortisol. And making us alert and focused. It also stimulates the production of a mood-elevating serotonin, making us feel fit and active. And this is why light is such a powerful thing in our lives where in the morning we tend to, unless you're Maria Unger, uh, you tend to be more alert, you know, and so it's this incredible thing where most people, when, they, when the lights turn on or when they wake up in the morning, it's a new day, the sun is shining, and there's this, this natural sense of like, ha, ah, let's go and tackle the day. Where most people in the evening, um, or the absence of light, it prompts our bodies to produce melatonin, a sleep hormone, which makes us feel tired. And so these are just some of the natural things that light does. Light has the power to cause sleep disorder. For those who work rotating shifts, no one needs to argue this or explain this to you. You know what that means. When you are one week, you're on night shift. The next week, you're on afternoon shift. And the next week, you're on on day shift. This messes with your cycle. And so, um, you um, you know, light has the power to cause sleep disorder. One study shows that being exposed to light at nighttime has been shown on a multitude of occasions to be linked to obesity, Depression, sleep disorder, cancer, and others, according to Joshua, Joshua Filmer. Light is power. It can give us comfort. It can give us direction. If you've ever gone, let's say, to a cabin or to a different motel, or, you know, or you've been at someone else's house, one of the things that you tend to do is you leave one light on. And it's not that you illuminate the entire room or the entire place, but you may leave one little light on and often it's done in the bathroom, right? You close the door, but then if you, as you get older, you got to get up a few more times at nighttime, you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, where am I? And then, oh, there's that little light. And some of you want to start singing, you know? Um, And that orientates you, it's like, "Ah, yes, that's where I need to go. Light has the power to give us comfort and direction. Light has reference also to understanding. For instance, when someone finally grasps a concept that's being studied, we might say the light bulb went on, and so here we all go, "Grew light bulb, I can't do it, I'm sorry. Um, That was awful. Light also refers to goodness, whereas darkness refers to evil. So it's easy to see that light is a powerful metaphor, and we can't deny the impact that it has. Now, the Bible tells us that God is light. God is light. Um, If natural light has such a powerful impact on humanity or on our physical beings, then imagine the power it has spiritually. Imagine the power, if God is light, imagine the power that that has on us spiritually, spiritually. And this is the focus that we want to, you know, this is what we want to focus on this morning as we go um, through um, our sermon. Our theme for 2018 is, why church? Why church? Why would God choose to continue the ministry that Jesus started with humans? Why wouldn't he just do it himself? Why would God include these messy people and and, and these people who don't have it all together? Why would he use us to continue to impact the world, to continue to do the work that Jesus started? And so this time around in September, we want to go continue on in that theme, but I want us to do it through the lens of 1 John, and so if you've never read this book, it's an incredible book, and I would encourage you to read the book of 1 John, and so turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to spend some time in chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 this morning. This letter, or this book, is not um, like many of the other ones that you find in the Bible, 1 John is actually very, very different in the sense that it doesn't have an introduction. It doesn't have a conclusion. Most biblical scholars would argue that it's not really even a letter. It's more of a track because you know, it doesn't have anyone that it's addressed to. Um, you know, and so it's one of those letters that there's been a lot of debate on. But one of the areas or one of the things that most scholars tend to totally agree on and that is who wrote it. Most scholars would agree that the language is very similar to that of the Apostle, um, of the Gospel of John, and so most scholars would agree that John wrote this. And John, as we know, had a very close relationship with Jesus, and, and John has a very loving way that he writes to this congregation. And so let me read to you first John chapter one, verses one to four. He says this: "That which was from the beginning." Which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The light appeared, we have seen it, testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us." And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We make this to, uh, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, one of the things that you notice very, very quickly in this writing is that the writer, John, he is immediately stating, you know, that he has evidence. This isn't just something that is opinion, this isn't just something, this isn't hearsay, this isn't, you know, something that, you know, he's pulling out of the blue. There's this strong emphasis on saying, I was there, I saw this, there's evidence to this. One of the most dangerous heresies of the first two centuries of the church was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is the central teaching that spirit is entirely good and matter is entirely evil. So John highlights here in the first uh, four verses that he has a personal witness, that he was a personal witness of the life of Jesus, that he has seen and that he has touched Jesus. Because Gnosticism teaches that matter is eternal, um, entirely evil, they would argue that Christ only appeared to be human, because in the, the... Um, theology or the the belief of Gnosticism, there's no way that you could mix spiritual and matter together. Because if one is entirely evil and the other one is entirely good, then how could they coexist? And so John is constantly saying, I was there. I touched him. I saw him. But Gnosticism would argue then and say, no, 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 no. Jesus only appeared to be human. Or they would argue that Christ only entered the human man Jesus at his baptism and left him right before he died on the cross. And so this was the argument of Gnosticism and there were some very, very powerful voices back then speaking this heresy into the church. And so John is writing this because Gnosticism could not accept that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. And that's why John emphasizes over and over again that he witnessed, he saw, he touched Jesus. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. It's not just something that you know, someone else is talking about. We ourselves saw this. Now jump to verse 5 because here John begins to believe, uh, outline what he believes. He says, This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and we declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. John's first key, two key statements is, number one, God is light. God is light. Not God has light, Not God has, you know, connection to a source of light, but God is light. Before we looked, you know, at the power of light and the impact that light has, John now highlights that here God doesn't just have access to such light, but that he himself is the light. We are speaking here, of course, of a spiritual uh, light, but we see John make this connection almost right away that this light isn't just, you know, the physical light that we see. The second thing that he really emphasizes then is that because God is light, there is no darkness in God. This is really, really important because God is light. There is zero darkness in him. There are no places in God where there is a darker shade. He is pure light. Light is not shining on God, but he himself is light and therefore darkness is completely absent. John is clear that we cannot then claim to be in Christ or in God, in the light, or in fellowship with God, and then walk in darkness. He would argue that that's impossible. Because God is light, you can't say, well, I am walking in fellowship with God while at the same time living in darkness. Light is, you know, something that, because God is light, all darkness is exposed. Darkness cannot be in the presence of light, So if we claim to be in fellowship with God, meaning that we have His light in us, then we must also be filled with light and we cannot be in darkness. I hope you're still with me because this is such an important thing for us as believers to understand. In verse 7, John pointed out that if we genuinely walk in the light, then we experience two things. Number one, we experience fellowship or community with one another. And number two, we experience purification from our sins through the blood of Jesus. So, being in the light refers not to living perfect lives, but rather surrendering ourselves fully to Jesus. You will see John make a significant change now as we continue reading in the use of the words. You know, in the next few verses, he stops using light and darkness, rather, he switches over from light and darkness to truth and sin. And so John makes this connection here between what light and darkness tend to mean to us and now he connects those to spiritual truths. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin. Okay, see he's using a completely new word here. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John is saying that unless we have received this light, unless we have received what God offers, we are still in darkness, and we cannot deny it. If we try to convince ourselves that maybe we are in light, but in the, in the light, but really aren't, John says, doesn't matter. If you claim to be without sin, you are deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in us. Anyone who attempts to convince themselves that they are saved from sin through any other form than God, because God is light, these people are deceptive, and they are... Um, uh, believing something that is not true. Now, I understand that this is not a popular view for many of us, or this is not a popular view in in the places where we might um, work or go to school. But if God is light, John would argue that the only way for us to receive light is through Jesus. Claiming to have it through a different form is untrue, and we, we are left deceived if we believe that. Another way to look at this is that a person may believe that they have received the light when they in fact haven't. Or they may attempt to deny that they live in darkness or that they live in sin. These are people who may not even see or they refuse to see or they refuse to admit the darkness that they live in. The scary thing about light is that you, I mean, sorry, the scary thing about darkness is that we can get used to it. I don't know if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night and, you know, you got to go to the bathroom. And you make your way over to the bathroom, and, and maybe you have one right off your bedroom, or maybe you got to go down a few steps, and, and it's dark in your house. But here's what's happened. Over the course of the evening, over the course of nighttime, over the course that you've slept, your eyes have adjusted to the darkness. So you make your way to the, the bathroom, and you're, you're doing okay, and, and you go in there, you turn the light on, and you do your thing, and then you turn the lights off. What happens? Suddenly, it's pitch black. Why? Because your eyes adjusted to the light. And so this is the same that happens to us spiritually. If we live in darkness, if we live in sin, we may actually become familiar with it. We may actually become used to it. And we might say to ourselves, it's really not that bad. I'm functioning. I'm doing okay. I'm getting by. Look at me. I'm, I'm okay. But turn the light on. Allow the light of Jesus to shine into your life and suddenly suddenly you will see so much clearer. Now, should a person recognize that they are in darkness, look at what John promises in verse 9. He starts off and he says, if we confess our sins, if we get past verse 8, if we get past that place where we may deny that we, you know, where we may get past denying that we need a Savior, we truly accept that we are in darkness, and we acknowledge that we need to be saved. Look at what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is both faithful and just. What a powerful combination. And it means that he will forgive our sins. The plural is significant here because we confess specific sins To Him, not just that we have sin, God wants to shine His light into every area of our lives, exposing all the sin that is in us, so that we can be completely cleansed, that we can be fully purified. We just finished renovating our bathroom. Okay, hold on, let me correct that. We are continuing to renovate our bathroom. Uh, 14 years ago, I think, or 10 years ago, we did our um, kitchen. And we thought we were done. And now we're working on our bathroom, and all of a sudden Maria's like, remember that guy told us, don't forget to paint around the door frame? And well, we forgot to paint around the door frame. So 12 years later, we finally finished our kitchen, folks. And so there's hope for our bathroom. But we did our bathroom and we are still working on it, but uh, we had to do this. We had to keep it functioning as much as possible, and so you've probably been there. So we left the sink in, we left the toilet in, we left the tub in as long as we could, and we bought shower curtains and just stapled them to the wall, because we got a shower, you know, and so we used this as long as we could, and we got by. You know, the sink's in the way, and it would have been so much easier just to gut everything. But because we needed it to be a functioning bathroom, we kept it going. Those things we were able to work around. The area that we struggled with the most was we had to take the light fixture off. And so we just had this little light fixture dangling there because you don't want to install the new light fixture until you've painted and done everything. And so there's this light fixture, just the one bulb just dangling there. It was extremely safe, just so you all know. I, I did a good job. You know, and it's just kind of hanging there. But here's what I experienced over and over. And the poor drywall guy, he must have just been so frustrated. No matter where you were in the room, you were always working in the shadow. You follow me? The light was always, always behind me. And it was annoying. And some of you are like, just get another light, you know, golly. But constantly, this thing. So we painted, we finished everything. We put on the new fixture. We got it all ready, and we turned that switch on, and oh, wow. The room just illuminated. Beautiful. Folks, that's what it's like spiritually. You may be working in the shadow right now. You may be going through the motions. You may be doing all these things, but allow God, who is the light, to shine into your life. You are going to receive and experience a purification like you've never experienced before. When there is sin in our lives, we stumble around in the dark. We may be functioning, but it is always to a limited extent. Look at the stern warning that John gives us in verse 10. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Why does John say this? Why does John put this in there? Because wasn't it feeling so good? You know, if we confess our sins, ah, it feels so good, you're cleansed. And now he goes kind of dark again. And he says, if you claim you have not sinned, you're making God out to be a liar. Why would he say that? I believe it's very simple. Because 2018 is the same as it was back then. We don't like to accept that there's sin, there are many people who would argue that there is no such thing as sin. And so therefore we can't be sinners. And so John is very clear here that if we're going to make those kind of statements that we are calling God a liar, why? Because all of God's dealings with humanity rest on the basis that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And to deny that we are sinners, to deny that there is sin means that we, everything that God has said is a lie. And if something as fundamental as sin is now not true, then what are we to believe about God? So John is very, very strong here. He says, if you're going to deny, if you're going to deny that you are a sinner, you are making God out to be a liar. But if you jump to chapter 2, John very quickly points out the fact that there is sin. Look at verse Chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, this is a loving parent in a sense, writing to his church, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John does not want people to sin, but he immediately acknowledged that Christians cannot live you know, a sinless life, but that there is sin in our lives. And at the same time, the closer we get to God, the more we will experience His beauty and His His power and His, His light. And this will create a paradoxical consequence in us. What do I mean by that? This means that we will recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, while at the same time, we will feel unworthy to go to the Father. So we're in in desperate need of help. Because if we recognize that we are in need of a Savior, but at the same time we're like, I can't go to the light, it's too bright. God is too great for me. What do we do? I need a Savior, but I can't go to Him. And so John says, well, that's what God did, is He sent an advocate. He sent His Son, Jesus, so that through Jesus we can have atonement, we can have access, we can have a way to the Father. So why church? What is this? What, do I, what is all this that I just spoke about here? What does that have to do with this theme of why church? Let me ask us to wrestle with two thoughts this morning. Number one, are you walking in light or are you walking in darkness this morning? Number two, are you willing to share this message of salvation with the people that you are in contact with? Well, let's go back to number one. Are you as an individual this morning... Walking in light or in darkness. Have you received the salvation that comes through Jesus? God is light. He sent his son Jesus so that through Jesus you can have access to the light. You cannot access it yourself. You cannot claim it for yourself. The only way that you can have this light is through Jesus Christ. If you do not have that today... You need to bow the knee, and you need to invite Jesus to come and to fill you. Number two, if you have that, are you sharing this with the people around you? Are you sharing this with those that you are in school with? Are you sharing this with the people that you are in constant contact with in your workplace? Would you shine the light of Jesus to those around you? Would your workspace be more positive because of you? Would you bring hope and peace? Would you be a blessing? Would you be a peacemaker? Would you build people up? Would you be willing to speak truth in love? Would you share this light with those that you are in contact with? We live in a dark world. We don't need to argue that. We know that. What we do need to do today is we need to recognize that in 2018, God is still the light. And in Jesus Christ, we still have forgiveness of sins. We are still purified through Jesus. So if we have embraced that for ourselves, then we must take that to the places where we go to school, the community that we live in, the people in our workplace, and wherever God is leads us. It starts, though, with a personal relationship with Jesus, allowing God to shine his light into the darkness of our lives. And then, then we take that light and we share it with the people we come into contact with. Why church? God did not put us here so we could gather and have church. God put us here so that the world would be changed through what he is doing in our lives. God put us here so that we could impact those outside of these walls and that we would share the gospel with those people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that this morning, if there's anyone in this room who says, I am still walking in darkness, I have not ever fully surrendered my life to Jesus. We thank you so much that this morning, at this very moment, that your spirit is prompting them. And that if they would surrender this morning, if they would open themselves up, that you will shine your light into their lives. And you can completely change everything about them. Father, we thank you that there's hope. We thank you for the purification that you still bring. So Lord, I pray for every person in this room to to really, at this moment, invite you to shine that light, your light, into them and to allow every area of their hearts, every area of their lives to be exposed to this light and to bring purification. And Father, I pray that this morning we would embrace this call on our lives to go and to share this message, that we would not be a church that keeps this to ourselves, but that we would be actively going into our areas of, of work and to our schools and our neighborhoods, God, and that we would share this message. There's hope that God is light. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the day.